something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. on the staff here at Church on the Trail. I want to welcome you here this morning. Folks walking, uh, watching online, I want to welcome uh, those folks here watching from all over the place, from uh, sea to shine, you know, shining sea. Anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here. I think the Lord has you here for a reason. Um, I think that he's, he's moving and shaking this morning. The worship was incredible. Communion was, uh, the Lord's Supper was an incredible uh, spiritual moment as well. Uh, I want to welcome y'all, and if this is your first time here, uh, I want you, we want to get in your hands one of these little welcome kits, kind of gives you the DNA of our church, kind of tells you what different things that are going on here as well as, well, you know, we're going to do that first. Richard uh, and Rhonda have got these. Am I sounding kind of weird? Okay, so it's not just my ears, it's y'all's ears too. Um, we want to get one of which is verse 32. Does that sound okay? sticking in your Bible or you scribble something on the margin of your Bible. That's all this is. It's just thoughts that I have as I'm reading and trying to get ready for the message. And I started doing that and I think it kind of helps for things to make sense. So we're starting in verse 26 and Paul wrote, be angry and do not sin, which sounds crazy. But he said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin actually quotes Psalm 4, verse 4 in Psalm 4, and it can be a little difficult. Here's why it can be a little difficult. This is the English Standard uh, Version translation. That's the one that I use pri primarily, the ESV. The word that is translated and, it's in Greek, it's kai. And kai can mean and, kai can mean but, it can mean so, it can mean therefore. And, and, I, and I think the NRSV translation really uh, is probably the best in this case, in this verse, as far as our understanding of Paul's intent. And the NRSV says, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. And so he's saying to the Ephesian Christians, remember this letter is written to believers. It's written to believe with believers in mind. And, uh, and, and so he's saying that anger 
Paul is, that anger is not necessarily unavoidable in all circumstances, but anger should never lead a believer into sinful uh, behavior that is hurtful to a community of faith. And this word that is used here for anger has to do with like a settled conviction, like a settled conviction type of anger. You think about it this way. There are certain things that we all place priorities on. There are certain things that you and I are committed to in our lives, and when something violates those things, then it can make us angry. I think about it for me. I am super committed to the fact that I am madly in love with my wife. I'm madly in love with, with my children, and, and, and I would have anger towards somebody that would do something that would hurt one of them. There's a couple of other Greek words for anger that are used in the New Testament, and they kind of go down... Uh, they kind of go down a different road. This word is or he that is used. And it is, a, it is sometimes it's tolerable. It's tolerable because of the motive that is behind that. Aristotle said that or he anger is desire plus grief. Desire plus grief is this kind of anger. And it's, it's anger that is tolerable when it's for other than selfish reasons. We can be angry over stuff that grieves God. We can be angry over the things that are hurtful to God's cause. It's not anger. It's not the kind of anger that when I get my feelings hurt. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, and I think 14, Jesus goes into the temple, and he flips over tables, and he's throwing folks out. And he's doing that because, because these people had turned that temple courtyard into a flea market. They had turned it into a den of robbers. They're selling, you know, birds and, and things, and they're ripping people off. And so Jesus was mad. It is not heresy for me to say that Jesus was mad. He was mad. And I believe, or he, anger, that is the way that he felt. It's the idea that he had this conviction, Jesus had this conviction, that the Father's holiness is what was at stake in that temple, that that the Father's holiness was somehow in danger and that there was crazy unrighteousness taking place in that temple courtyard. In the Father's house, there was unrighteousness taking place. And so he did something about it. And that is the kind of anger that hates sin. It's not the anger that results in sin. It's the kind of anger that hates sin. Psalm 97, verse 10 says, You who love the Lord hate sin. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching in the synagogue. And the religious leaders are trying to trick him. You know, they try to trick him all the time. And so they're trying to trick him and see if he's going to heal this, this guy who's got a withered hand. The text says he has a withered hand. And they're trying to trick him to see if Jesus is going to do that on the Sabbath. Because you see, they say that you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Because that constitutes work. And the Sabbath... They say is for rest. You can't work on the Sabbath. And so they're trying to trick him because if he heals somebody on the Sabbath, the, the religious leaders are going to say that he is sinning. So verse 5 of chapter 3 of Mark, it says, And he, he, Jesus, looked around at them with anger, grieved <clears throat> at their hardness of heart. And I believe that he was ticked off because of the stupidity of all of that, at the injustice of all of that. 
So Jesus says to this guy, come on over here, dude, and let's, let's see what we can do about that hand. And he says to the religious leaders, are you, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that it's against the law to do good on the Sabbath? It's against the law to heal, to, to, to ease someone's suffering on the Sabbath? Is it against the law to, so should I just do bad? You're going to take me to jail because I saved the life, somebody's life on the Sabbath, so we should just kill? That's just so stupid, y'all. It doesn't make any sense. I grew up my whole life thinking that kind of way, my whole life, that you can't do this and this and this on the Sabbath because when the sun went down on Friday night until it came up on Saturday night, that you can't work. Somebody gets an ox in the ditch, which doesn't happen a lot in Columbus, Georgia, but they wreck an ox in the ditch. I can't help them get the ox. the dumbest thing ever. That's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 3. For the Christian, for a believer in the world, when we see evil in the world, it ought to infuriate us. That's, it's a different kind of anger. And many of us, many of us aren't angry with the things uh, that, we, that go on in our world. And we should be. It ought to make us angry that there's over 3,000 abortions a year, excuse me, 3,000 abortions a day in the United States. I'm telling y'all that ought to make us angry. It ought to make us mad. But we can't let that anger um, degenerate down, devolve down into sin. And so he says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry, but do not sin. Don't go to bed on it. Don't sleep on it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you've got some anger that is morphing itself, becoming sin, don't sleep on it. You've got to face it and you've got to deal with it and handle it. But this permission in verse 26, um, this permission concerning anger comes with a warning, a real warning for the real world. Number one is this, that it's got to be carefully, carefully guarded so it doesn't uh, morph into sin. Anger that is selfish, that's undisciplined, that's unbridled, that's uncontrolled is always, always sin. And sometimes for us, it may start out okay, but it is not hard. As a matter of fact, it's easy for that to spiral downward into sin. Look at verse 27. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, deal with it now. Don't harbor it. Don't let it fester or you're giving the devil an opportunity to step in. Think about your own life, your own walk. Most of us have had at some point or the other, probably every one of us, some undealt with anger. And it horribly corrupts. Paul says it gives an opportunity to the devil. The King James translation says uh, it gives place to the devil. It gives place. The word translated place in the King James or opportunity in the ESV is, is in the Greek is the word topos. It's where we get the word topography from. And so what happens is we're given we're given ground to the devil. We're given land away to the devil. We're letting the devil take the beachhead. So a person, a person who never seems to have anything, anything but, uh, but an angry mood or, a, or an angry spirit or a bitter, resentful heart is really given ground to the devil, providing a place for the devil, providing an opportunity 
for the devil to jump in into their life and wreak havoc and deceive and to slander and are really y'all there when that happens we're providing an environment for the devil's influence to flourish that is what's happening that's what that was what verse 27 means things things that uh things are attracted to environments that are attractive to them that sounds like such an obvious statement things are attracted to environments that are attractive to them don't create an environment that is attractive to the devil don't undealt with unbridled anger unrighteous anger is providing that sort of an environment if you leave water stagnant especially in the south leave water stagnant in your backyard you're creating an environment where mosquitoes flourish and they're going to be everywhere because they're going to hang out because they like it and, it, and it and it's home they're going to make a home there if you leave trash out you're creating an environment uh if you leave trash out for an extended period of time uh, uh where where a rat and his little cousins are going to come hang out let me tell y'all what happened one time this is probably 14 or 15 years ago we were living in stone mill subdivision uh right off of moon road behind total systems north center my two kids were, Zach was about 11 and Will was about 8. So this is like 15 years ago. And I cooked a lot on the grill on the back porch. We had a covered back porch. It wasn't walled in, but it was just covered. <clears throat> and I cooked a lot. Uh, we grilled a lot at the time. And I, and I guess I got lazy because I must have left, uh, I must have not cleaned the grill off good. I must have left hot dog residue or hamburger residue over some period of time. I left that out without scraping the grill. And so one day I'm out there, and we had two, because I was, I was going to, um, we were going to cook something out that night, and, and we had two golden retrievers. Anybody have golden retrievers? There's fr probably no sweeter dog on the planet than a golden retriever. They're so chill, and they're so calm, and they just hang out. Our gold, those two golden retrievers were um, um, Ribbons and Lacey. Ribbons and Lacey. And so they're outside, they're sleeping, right, on the back porch, one on the left side of the porch, the ribbons was sleeping actually underneath the grill, and I must not have cooked on it in a couple of months. Um, and so I opened it up, and you ain't going to believe when I opened the grill up on my back porch, this far probably from the back door of the house, what I saw. In the grill, underneath the grate, with my two large, very sweet, but clearly unconcerned golden retrievers on guard duty, right, a nest of rats had built a nest under the grate of the grill but you know you got a space about like that between the burners and the grate there was a nest of rats shredded up newspaper and 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 uh pine straw and they i freaked out with the grill open their little rat noses were coming up through the grate and they were squeaking and it was all and i'll tell you this i wasn't going to say this but later on susan said we're moving away from this house right <laughs> so they're they're little, and so about that time, one of my kids walked out, and I can't remember who, which, if it was Zach or Will, I'm going to think that it was probably Will, but he walked out, and as he walked out, he was seeing all this happen, and I closed it, and with this twinkle in his eye, he said, turn it on, Daddy. <laughs> turn it on. He really did, and I'm not going to, but I, I'm telling you, I did not turn it on, um, and I'll spare you the rest of the story, because for the point that I'm trying to make, um, the story, the rest of the story is hilarious, and if somebody wants to hear after church, I'll tell you after church what happened. I did not turn the grill on, though. Um, but 
if we create an environment that's attractive for something, the something is going to come. And so when, when there's unrighteous anger or uncleanness or maybe hamburger residue left alone in a life, it is an invitation, y'all. It is an invitation for demons to ease themselves in and make themselves at home. Don't do that. So you got four or five exchanges. Last week, the first one was exchanging lying for the truth. This week, we're exchanging um, um, unrighteous anger uh, for, let's say, righteous anger. And then the third is this. The third is this. As a Christian, me and you are to exchange stealing for sharing. Not just stealing for not stealing, right? We're going to exchange stealing uh, for sharing. So look at verse verse 28. Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So rather than stealing, believers, rather than stealing, we work. And we work so that we'll be able to share with folks, share with folks that are in need rather than stealing to get. The Christian works to give. It's a different way of looking at things. Think about the numbers are staggering. In the United States, due to shoplifting, this year there'll be a loss of $49 billion. And about a third of those dollars are are, are lost. They call it shrinkage, inventory shrinkage. Um, about a third of that is lost to people that are working in the very place where they're stealing from. You ever been in a store somewhere or wherever you've been? And, and you go to pay and you look at the receipt and, the, and you were undercharged, undercharged by 3 or $4. And you say to the guy behind the counter, you know, you're like, you didn't charge me enough, I owe you $4. And he's going to look at you like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what are you, or he's thinking you're like, got something up your sleeve trying to run some scam on him because they have no idea what to do with somebody that's actually honest, right? And he's looking at you like you're crazy. And so look, whether it is grand theft or or petty theft, stealing a pack of gum, taking money off your dad's dresser, taking money off your kid's dresser, whatever it is, whatever that is, it is stealing. It's taking something that does not belong to you, and probably every one of us in this room, I bet if we're honest, has done that. At some point or the other, we've done that. Not paying a debt is stealing. Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows but not, does not pay back. Falsifying expense accounts, not paying a fair wage to somebody who you've hired, that is stealing. Not making this clerk aware that they undercharged you. They're all thieving. In the South, we call that thieving. Paul calls thieving, the people that thieve, unrighteous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says those they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 28 in Ephesians 4, where we are right now, says, But rather let him labor, let him work. The Bible has a lot to say, y'all, about work. Work is an honorable thing. It's an honorable thing to work. And verse 28 goes on. It says, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anybody in need. Proverbs talks about work. In the Psalms, there's talk about work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 is very black and white. 
Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 3, he said this, for even when we were with you and we, he's talking, he's writing and he's talking about when he and his guys were, when Paul and his guys were with them, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You don't work, you don't eat. So work is good. Work is good. But we're not to work to hoard. We're not to work to get more and more and more and more. We're to work diligently to provide. And of course, to provide for you and your family. Of course. Of course. But, 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 but just as importantly, maybe on some level more, we are to work uh, to give more and more and more, not to get more and more and more. Work hard to give, not to get. That's the deal. And you, if you change this way of thinking and, and the thinking becomes, if I could just get a raise, I could give more to the people that need. If I could just get a raise, I could give more and more and more. What a revolutionary way to look at this. So this third exchange is we exchange stealing for working hard and sharing and giving. I want to ask you all a question. And I want you to be totally honest, totally transparent. There is no judgment here. There is no condemnation here. There's not going to be any hating going on in this room. But to be sure that there's none of that going on, I want us all to close our eyes. And really, I really do want you to close your eyes. And it ain't going to take but 10 seconds. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to do this. Your eyes ain't closed. You better close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to raise your hand if you think that you can go 24 hours without saying an unkind word, anything negative, anything unkind to or about anybody that has ever lived on the planet, maybe living now, maybe not be living now. If you can go 24 hours without saying an unkind or negative thing about anybody or to anybody for 24 hours, raise your hand. Keep your eyes closed. You know, the right side of the room is a whole lot more righteous than the left. No. All right. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. You can put your hands down. All right. Look, and there wasn't that many hands up because y'all were honest and transparent folks. But here's what I would say. If you can't answer yes to that, then you've got to recognize that you got a problem. If you can't go 24 hours Without a drink of liquor, we would say you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking a cigarette, we would say that you're addicted to nicotine. And I'm going to say this. If you can't go 24 hours without saying an unkind word to or about somebody, then you've lost control of your tongue. Through Paul, through Paul, the Lord addresses this in verse 29 of Ephesians 4. should be on the screen. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So the fourth exchange that Paul talks about for the Christian is that we swap a foul mouth for encouraging words. And that word corrupt, that word corrupt is sapros in Greek, and it means rotten or putrid, or filthy, or nasty, and it has to do with something that is worthless and something that is, uh, that is useless. And so 
You have something on your screen now. You should, um, I think. Flip switch. That's pineapple. It's not a big deal. We got a pineapple on screen. Cornwall, England. These pineapples are grown by uh, a place called the Lost Gardens of, I think it's Heligan is the way you would pronounce it. These pineapples grow for two years. They grow under straw, manure, and horse urine. And they sell for 6400 bucks a piece. $6,400 a piece. They're crazy sweet. Like the words, I love you. Like the words, I forgive you. Like the words, God loves you. Like the words, you are worthy, you are chosen, you are predestined, you are redeemed. But if these $6,400 pineapples sit out isolated and disconnected from the source, the very source of their nutrients, and if these $6,400 pineapples are affected by the corrupting influences of the world, they get rotten and they get putrid and they stink. And then what you reckon that $6,400 pineapple is worth? What's it worth? It ain't worth nothing. Rancid, rotten, corrupt words are of zero value. They're offensive and they're sickening and they stink and they're of no value to anybody. Whether it's off-color jokes or dirty jokes or profanity or crude things or insulting things or gossip, whatever it is, they have no place in the life of a Christian. People today, y'all, drop the F-bomb like it's just some another word. People, they do. People insult one another. People gossip about one, one another. People talk about one another behind each other's backs. People, and y'all know this person. I don't mean like it's an actual person. I mean this figuratively everybody knows somebody like this. Um, this person, call, they'll call, people will call each other up. Sometimes under the guise of asking for prayer for somebody. When all they're really doing is gossiping. I shouldn't be telling you this, but would you please pray for old Betty Sue? Can you believe her husband is cheating on her? Can you believe? I just want you to pray for her. I, now, don't tell nobody because, because I told her I wouldn't say anything. But I just want you to pray for her. Can you believe her husband's cheating on her? Y'all, we are to be different. We are to be different. Four preachers, four preachers go out and they're, um, they want to have a confession time together. You know, we do that from time to time. And they were talking each one about their various uh, failures. And one of them says to the other one, he says, well, you know, I sometimes watch movies that I really shouldn't be watching. And another one says, you know, from time to time I head down to Biloxi and I go to the casino and I probably gamble too much. And another dude says, you know what? I hate to admit it, but just every now and again, I just got to get sloppy drunk. This is a preacher now saying this. And preacher number four, he says, well, my sin is gossiping, and I can't wait to get in my truck and call my wife. <laughs> now, for real, though, for real, for real, I want to give you a verse, Psalm 141. Psalm 141, verse 3 should be on the screen. There you go. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Here's the deal, man. If Jesus Christ is the gatekeeper of your lips, then he will be the one to determine what comes out. 
He will. The Word speaks to our mouths and the way we talk and the way we talk one to another all over the place. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, uh, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. When people talk nonstop uh, like that, and I'm not just talking about cussing words, it's meanness and it's slander and it's gossip and so on. And the Bible is really very, very clear about what is going on inside of a person when this happens, y'all. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' words himself. Verse 34, for out of the abundance of, of the what? The heart, the mouth speaks. Chapter 15, verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the what? From this is a heart issue. It is a heart issue. What, what, what spews out of our mouth can cut like a knife or it can comfort like a, like a, like a Ugg blanket. I mean, it, it, it's all, and it's all, I don't know where that came from, man. I really don't, I have no idea. That just came out. Um, but you know, Ugg blankets are soft, right? Right? I don't know where that came from. Um, it is a heart issue. It is a, whatever, our, everything about us comes out, it, it's, it emanates from our heart. The way we give, the way we share, the way we speak, the way we treat one another, it is all coming out of, of where we are in our hearts. And I think in verse, 20, in verse 29, I think there's three features of our speech, of the way that we talk to each other, Paul points out in this verse. Number one, it ought to be edifying. The way we talk, it ought to be edifying. It ought to build up. It shouldn't tear down. It should be encouraging. It should be strengthening. Is this the way that you talk? When somebody comes up to you and to talk for a minute or two or 45, do they walk away from the conversation feeling built up in Christ or do they walk away, away from the conversation looking down at, at their feet because they're discouraged? Y'all, how do they leave the conversation with you? Moms and dads. When you are with your kids, when you're talking to your kids, impressionable kids, do your words build them up and strengthen them and encourage them? They should. I'll be transparent with you. I don't know when this was, 15 years ago or something maybe. Susan and I were in a conversation. Our kids were back in their bedroom, and we were in our great room, and we were in a conversation, and there's no doubt that, that I got angry, and it wasn't righteous anger, Right? And I'm sure that my tone got not so good, and I'm sure that the volume of my voice got not so good. And both my kids came walking down the hall, and they said, Stop talking to Mama. Stop talking to Mama like that. Think about that. Words, y'all, that never should have happened. It, it shouldn't have. It did, and I apologize, but it shouldn't have happened. Your kids hear everything that comes out of your mouth. And they see everything that, I don't know how they see everything and hear everything, but they do. And they're impressionable. So are the words that you're speaking to your kids and in front of your kids, are they building them up or are they tearing them down? And I'm not saying that you've got to be perfect because you're not. And I'm not. Never was. Far from it. But is the pattern encouraging or is the pattern discouraging? So number one, it should be, your words should be edifying. Number two... Uh, verse 29 says, as fits the occasion. Are the words necessary? Do the words need to be said? Because if nothing good is going to come out of the words that are coming, then, then you just don't need to say them, right? 
My dad used to tell me, and this is harsh because my dad was a harsh dude, but he used to say, make sure that the noise that's about to come out of your face is an improvement upon the silence you're about to break. And I know that's harsh. That's harsh. But, you know, my mama didn't say it that way. My dad said it that way. And all he's saying is the same thing I'm saying. If it ain't going to do any good, then, then keep your, he would say, keep your face shut. Um, so number one, the words ought to be edifying. Number two, um, they, need to be, they ought to be necessary. And number three, the third feature of our talking, of our, of our speech, ought to be is grace. Our words should be gracious. Grace should be all kind of woven into our conversations. Is there a sweetness in what you say that blesses others and delivers grace? So, that it, so every time that we open our mouths up, we should be building up and encouraging and strengthening our words. And our words, every time, they should be necessary as fits the occasion. And they should just reek, y'all, they should reek with grace. Verse 29, and then in verse 30, it's almost like verse 30 almost doesn't fit where it is. It's like Paul just thought of something. You just got to know that's the way Paul writes. He's just like, all over the place. And so verse 30 kind of jumps in there. Obviously, it's where the Lord wants it to be. But it, it, it almost looks like it doesn't fit. And he says this. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I bet y'all may have never thought about this, but God weeps. God can get his feelings hurt. God can have a broken heart. In Jeremiah, God weeps. In Isaiah and Hosea, we see evidence of God's broken heart. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Lazarus. And here in verse 30, it looks like something uh, would grieve the Holy Spirit and make him sad. And I believe it is this. When me and you as believers fail to exchange the old for the new, when he sees lying rather than speaking the truth, when he sees uh, unrighteous anger instead of righteous anger and forgiveness, when he sees stealing rather than giving, when he hears rotten rather than edifying encouraging words, it makes him sad. And so what Paul is saying is this, how could you do that, you believer, how could you do that to the very one that saved you and sealed your salvation? How could you do that? You know that your salvation is forever. You know what he's done for you. You know better. You know the gift that he's given you. How could you do that? Are you stupid? That's what he's saying to them. That's what Paul is saying. How could you do that? He has saved you from the pit of hell. You had a foot and a half in the grave, and the Lord reached down and saved you. And you're going to act like this? Because remember, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to lost people. Paul, he's talking to believers. And so Paul says, how can you do that? And then he sums this whole thing up in these last two verses. He gives us a final contrast. And we are to exchange natural vices for uh, for, uh, unnatural graces. We're to exchange natural vices for, excuse me, supernatural graces. Verse 31 says this, let all... Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This is like this summary sort of exchange uh, statement that Paul makes. Again, he, he, he brings in what we say to each other. These verses are very relational. And they really are 
relational in the sense of, of our relationships with each other more so really than our relationship with God. And so he says, look, y'all, take the bitterness, take the festering resentment, take the unforgiving spirit, take the vengeful rage and take the wild reactions and take the clamor. And clamor is not a word like that we really use anymore, but it means violent uh, outburst, going nuts, screaming and yelling out in public. So take all those outbursts and the slander. And the word for slander there is blasphemia. And it's the worst kind of verbal abuse ever. It is blaspheming, folks. So in this summary statement, Paul is saying this, take all of that stuff and put it away. Take it all, put it away. As one who claims to be in a relationship with the Lord, take all of that stuff and put it away. These two verses almost summarize all of chapter 4. And then in verse 32, he makes this other general statement of what we need to replace the stuff in verse 31 that we're putting away with. He says, be kind to one another. Y'all, kindness is a lost art. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And he doesn't stop there. doesn't just say forgiving one another. He says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And you know, as Christians, y'all, we got to deal with each other uh, properly. How are you dealing with your husband or your wife or your kids or your grandkids or your cousins or brothers how you dealing with certain people here in our church family is there is there bitterness or is there wrath is there malice you know is any of that stuff going on but you don't know what he did to me you say what you don't know what she said to me i got every right to be angry how many of us have said that i got raise your hand if you said that i got every right to be angry they didn't even ask for forgiveness. Oh, if I could have a nickel for every time I've heard. They didn't even ask for forgiveness. In fact, they're still nasty to me. Okay, I hear all of that, right? I have said all of that. But, okay, I got it. But all I know is what the Word says. And the Word says to be kind. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't suggest that we be kind. He says be kind. He says be tenderhearted and forgive and you know what? It's really interesting the way Paul ends verse 32, the way he does. As God in Christ forgave you. So you know what? God was kind to you. God was tenderhearted to you. Remember, he's talking to believers. God was forgiving to you. And you didn't what? And I didn't what? Deserve it. Didn't deserve You spit on the cross. You screamed and yelled at him. You shook your fist at him and said, why me, why me, why me? And you showed anger toward, and he loves us anyway. That is the most, when you can love the way the Lord loves, you love the unlovable. Because I was the unlovable one and he loved me anyway. Don't miss the point, man. You didn't yell like a madman at somebody because they deserved it. You yelled at him like a madman at somebody because you're sinful right? You weren't clamorous and wrathful at somebody because they deserved clamor and wrathfulness. You did that because you were sinful. I didn't scream at Susan in front of my kids because she deserved it. I screamed at Susan in front of my kids because I'm sinful. Because y'all, the very character of God says, I don't care what you've done to me. I will love you and I will be kind to you and I will be tenderhearted and I will forgive you anyway, right? Anyway. 
And Paul tells me and you, that's exactly what God expects of a believer. If you are a new creation, you should reflect just that. Guys, if we could be a community of people who, who never lie and always speak the truth, if we could be a community of people who never get angry and sin but always act in love, if we could be a community of people that never steal but only share, if we could be a community of people that never speak in nasty ways but every time we open up our mouth, grace comes out, if we could be a people who don't have bitterness and wrath and, and clamor and, and all of those things, but if we were only known for nonstop kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness, do you think the world may take notice of our message? Our message and our message of the cross would be taken so much more seriously because people would look at us and say, you're different, and I would love to be that, right? But if we're full of rage and malice and lying and stealing, what do you think that does for the message? Forget what it does to you personally. What does it do for the message? You lose the message. You lose the message. If we did this on a daily basis, could we impact individuals and the world for Christ? This whole passage lands on forgiveness. You are forgiven and you should forgive others. You forgive others, right, because you are forgiven. That's like the way it works. All right, look at this. Should be on the screen. All right. That, you know what that is? Anybody know what that is? Where? Athens, Georgia. That is the chapel bell at UGA. And it gets rung after every home win, right? Big rope gets pulled down, you know, over and over, and the bell swings back and forth, and it's ringing, right? There's a constant pulling and a constant ringing of that bell. There's been more pulling of that bell lately than there has been in previous years, but, but right, but, but the per, when, the, the, when the person pulling that rope lets go, the bell will keep swinging a bit. The bell doesn't stop swinging just because the rope is not being pulled anymore. It'll swing for a while, right, and then it'll slow down and it'll stop. Forgiveness is the act of letting go of the bell rope. It means that you are choosing, right, you are choosing to no longer hold on to that rope. I'm done holding on to the rope. I'm letting go of the rope. And a lack of forgiveness is when you're constantly pulling the rope. I guarantee you that there are multiple people in this room that they need to forgive somebody. They need to forgive somebody. And that's what I'm talking about. You can't, if you can't let go of that rope, you, you, it'll never, the bell's never going to stop ringing. Every time the bell rings, it reminds you of some hurtful thing that he did or some hateful thing that she said. Every wrong that somebody has inflicted on you and our constant um, rope pulling keeps all of that stuff in front of the front of our minds. And if we choose, and I'm talking about choose, right? If we choose to let go of the rope by a decision of our will and our emotions will still hear the bell after a little while. But if you let the rope go and you leave the rope alone, the bell will stop swinging and the, the bell will stop clanging. But, you, you know, don't let the reality of the feelings of pain. I'm not minimizing the reality of the painful feelings, right? 
but don't let that get in the way of your forgiveness. The pain is there. I mean, it, it is there. Don't let that cloud uh, the forgiveness. You are responsible for not constantly ringing the bell. You are. That other person is not. They don't control whether you forgive them or not. You are the one that has to let go of that rope. And if you don't pick up the rope, the ringing kind of dies down. And sometimes, maybe even most of the time, man, forgiveness is hard because we've been pulling the rope for so long, so long that we don't even know what life looks like without a bell ringing all up on top of our head. And sometimes y'all will, will, will let go for a little while. And then we'll go pick the dumb rope up again and start swinging it again. My encouragement to you is let two encouragements. Number one is this, let go of the rope. If you don't let go of that rope, the other person is controlling you. I don't care if they didn't ask you for forgiveness. I don't, you're forgiving them has nothing to do with whether they asked you for forgiveness or not. That's on you. That's on, does that make sense? You let go of that rope. And I would ask you this, number two is this, if you have never accepted the forgiveness that the Lord offers, because you know what? He, he wants to let go of your rope, right? He wants to let go of the rope and forgive you. The Lord wants to let go of the rope for you. And if you have never done that, this is not a big complicated thing. It ain't that hard to do that, right? I repent. I turn from my sin. I'd repent. And I believe. I repent and I believe that that, that, that death on that cross took care of all of my junk one time forever and I'm not going to pick the rope back up right so I repent and I believe that 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 death on the cross paid the price for my sin and if that happened to you I want y'all to close your eyes and I just want you to pray this with me Lord today if that happened to you if you want to say yes to that offer today it is Lord I do repent of my sin big sin little sin whatever it is Lord I do repent of that and Lord, I invite you to live inside of me. Lord, I want you to save me. And I believe that you are who you say you are and you can do everything you say you can do. And so Lord, I invite you to live inside of me today. And y'all, if that happened, if that happened to you today, let us know. You can open your eyes. Um, let us know. Connection card on the seat back in front of you. Just let us know that that happened that today is the day, today that is your new, is your spiritual birthday. Today is the day that you did say yes to the Lord. Today is the day that you understood and accepted the fact that he let go of that rope for you.